Um, curious to go back a little bit to you're talking about the melding of the bhakti and the Buddhist practices. Um, you told me last time we hung out that the kind of practice you were doing with Neem Karoli was so different than the kind of practice you do like in a Buddhist center, or like in a Goenka retreat, like not structured and disciplined and, and, you know, not the same kind of form. Like it was much more open and formless. Well, actually there was no practice. No he practice. Didn't teach. He was just, he would like just hang out and what did you, did you, you had toast for breakfast and, uh, you had um, some yogurt, uh, but you didn't like the blueberries that they gave you. You know, tell you what happened to you. Or so a lot of it was. It sounds like a lot of s sort of psychic or s a lot of city. it was city stuff. That that's was, interesting. It was around breaking. You, your mind broke. You could not anymore walk around thinking that you were the you were your mind. That 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 was real. You you couldn't anymore. How could this be, you know? There was another dimension you absolutely knew. And then added to that was, he used to talk all the time about nothing. I mean, some of it, he talked like, I asked him, I went to get, when I was first there, I was just this 24 year old or whatever, I thought, shit, you meet your guru, get a mantra, right? What the hell? <laughs> That's what they do in TM, right? Yeah. <laughs> So I said, but I said it in a different way because I guess I was interested. Well, because I did TM and I thought meditation, right? Yeah. I was more into meditation than I was into mantras. Yeah. Although they give you this mantra, whatever, anyway. So I said, how should I meditate? You know, meaning I thought he would say, oh, just do Ram, 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 you know, because he used to do that all the time. He was doing that all the time. Um, and meditate like Christ when he was nailed to the cross. He only felt love, no pain. He was lost in love with every sentient being. He might have just whacked me on the head and, and said, okay, go sit over there for about three years and, you know, you'll get it. Because I had no, you know. So wow. that's the kind of thing. Of course, the next day Ramdas came. He wasn't there. And I said, Ramdas, can you believe what he just told me? Can you, you have a more um, close relationship with him you've been around him could you ask him you know what does he mean by that you know and then that day it was me Krishnadas, Ramdas, a couple other people we asked Ramdas asked him and he uh, he just sat back and went into a meditative I mean he closed his eyes I don't know what he was doing all I know is that tears started to come from his eyes and he said over and over and over you don't understand you don't understand he was lost in love with every sentient being. He never died. He never died. He was one with everything. Blah, blah. We were like little kids. Like, you know, when your parents cry and you're two years old and you don't know why, and it's like... And then he just manifested Christ, basically. So that kind of um, unconditional love was also part of it. So he broke the mind down on one level. And then, on, and it wasn't just, by the way, telling us stuff that had, you know, prescient stuff uh, that day. Sometimes it was like in your deep past that you didn't even realize till two days later, oh shit, that happened. Or, you know, stuff that was going to happen, you know, stuff like that. So you, you absolutely couldn't hold on to your mind anymore. That combined with this unconditional love, that was basically what he did to us. 
Um, at the same time, he would say, are you going to the course? And we knew that meant the Parshanet. Everybody. You go to the course? Yes, Maharaj, you go to the course. Come back from the course? You go to the course? Yep. He said, Do you so, he was sort of, so he was sort of, in a way, prom prom promoting the yeah. meditation retreats. But he, yeah, but in a way that wasn't direct. Mm. It was like, like, we came back and he'd say, you were at the course? He'd say in English, course? You know, he didn't speak English, but of course he used to speak it all the time. Course. And we go, yeah. And we were, I remember, we were so proud. For me, it was my first meditation course. He said, well, show us what you learned. So we, like, sat up. Get in the position. I got in the position, three of us, three or four of them, and sat and closed my eyes. As soon as I closed my eyes, we hear this high-pitched laughing, because he was sitting there with some Indian people. Look, they know how to meditate. It's great. <laughs> so it was like bullshit, you know? Except that our, my whole life, my practice has been Vipassana, okay? And we have this little mixer going on. Nice. And then <laughs> back to the original question of Buddhism and Bhakti. Yeah. Um, I think it was best said by Ramdas who went uh, to Burma and practiced with... Uh, I forget which one of the teachers, one of Jack's teachers, I can't remember his name actually right now. I don't know why I lost that. Um, was it Mahasi Sayadaw, was it? Yeah, right, that's it. Or Upandita, one of those, yeah, one one of of those guys. guys. Yeah. And he said, he found, when he came back, he spent three months there. He tells really funny stories about that whole scene. And he came back and he said, it totally changed my perspective of bhakti yoga, of being, of, of being able to open in a much more focused way and much more grounded and much less, um, what's, I don't know what the word he used, I might have used, well, Trungpa Rinpoche used to say to us, yeah, these people with Ramdas, love and lighters. <laughs> Called you the love and lighters. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds uh, like it's got a slight, a slightly critical oh, yeah, <laughs> edge no, to it. Absolutely, he used to jive Ramdas all the time about that. You know, we spent a lot of time with him back in the, when we first came back from India, because mm. he had a place in Tale of the Tiger in uh, Vermont. So it, yeah, the the uh, certainly the the kind of opening that you get through meditative practice, particularly Buddhist meditative practice, which, you know, any of the basic ones all involve breath, follow, you know, just anapana, you know, the one-pointed practices, and then move on further, of course, to, uh, you know, in, to the real insight into the impermanence, permanent nature, and give you a connectivity to that. I think that's extraordinarily important. Now, there's some of us who, who are into this scene and they were with us back then, they didn't particularly take to that. Right. And nothing, not to say that they had any less um, opening to bhakti yoga. So right. it's really individual. But a lot of us, this is the case for sure. I think it's 
part of what's so interesting about that to me is, you know, the way that those different practices and even like, almost like a, even beyond approach, like different ways of perceiving reality, you know, of like, of knowing reality, how those in, in sort of start to inform each other. Um, and thinking of it a lot, lot like net, networks, you know, it's like when you're, when you're, the way that the interconnectivity of networks, you know, one piece of information informs another piece of mm-hmm. information. It's the connectivity between these different yeah. ways of knowing that sort of forms like a like a larger whole. You know, that's got a very unique, got a u- yeah. very unique flavor. I almost get the, that kind of quality from what you're saying, and also from Jack and um, Trudy. You know, his yep. teaching partner. Like they've done so many different kinds of practice, yep. and are, sort of have access to and can pull up these different sort of ways of knowing. And it, it, to me, it's almost like it's not about any one of the ways of knowing. It's about sort of what all those things, how all those things have changed their their sense of sense of who they are and what the world is. And yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, um, I think the basic foundation behind, as I said before, especially with Jack and Trudy, Joseph Sharon, who brought back Vipassana to the country, to the West, really, um, is the level of openness. You know, that is not a characterization, and I don't want to cast aspersions, that is not a characterization, I would say, about all, many, all, many of different Buddhist sects or, and so on, which can tend to be very fundamentalist. Sure. You know, yeah. Which all of these things have that, but I mean, you know, the bhakti tradition, you know, there's a, okay, here I'm going to get really hit, the Hare Krishnas. <laughs> Sorry, guy. <laughs> you know, talk about sure. a fundamentalist thing. And on the other hand, I'm a complete advocate of what they, the, the reality of what they say. Yeah, just chant, chant that mantra, you'll be fine, kind yep. of thing. Yeah. You know, but uh, I think openness, absolutely, that's why Jack and Sharon and Joseph and Trudy, that's why they are to me so important as Buddhist teachers in this country and another one of them who's was part of our scene our scene you know he came and he saw Mahaji uh, Lama Suridas who's yep. also a, a great proponent of the, LSD very, LSD can't even, <laughs> <laughs> he's perfect he's he's wonderful and uh, so I think you know and certainly in terms of going back to psychedelics I think it really helps to de-solidify. So in terms of, okay, great, when you, you know, get you started out and you really understand the interconnectivity of everything, blah, blah, blah. But I think later on, if you get a little bit too solidified in what you think is right or reality, yes. or this is the only path or whatever it may be, yes. I think that it could be quite useful. for Maybe that's where the yogi medicine... Yeah. comes back in. Yeah, and it, as I, we talked, I don't know if we had the, the recorder running, but we were talking before about, I think I was mentioning MDMA and this podcast I did on mind rolling with Rick Doblin mm-hmm. and his recommendation, especially for boomers like me, that you might consider returning a little bit that it could uh, reveal something that, you know, you may not be aware of or could 
um, break apart. You know, like as we get older, we get you get stones, you get kidney stone, bladder stone. You know, it's been a problem for me. That's why I mentioned that other people, whatever it is, you have calcified shit going on in your body. Yeah, and that can happen in your mind as well. Mm. So I have, you know, I have a feeling like he, he pretty much directly recommended to me on a podcast. <laughs> You know, and I, th I thought, okay, uh, it's a message, you know, and it's something that uh, I'm, you know, I might pursue. I will pursue. Uh, so, yeah, definitely, I think that there's a place for that, especially for people. And it can be, you know, you don't have to be, you know, like getting older and getting calcified in many different ways. It can be going through something, you know, you might have gone through um, a grief of some sort, which many people do at all stages of their life. Yeah. It might be very useful to remind that we are not our, our minds and our bodies and our egos and our roles, that there is another dimension, you know, which was why we got, the, we who were with Ninkaroli Baba got that very early. You know, he, he just shattered that bullshit. Uh, that was fortunate, really, I mean, lucky isn't the right word, but mm. certainly good samskaras, as they say in Buddhism. Mm. So I think that uh, psychedelics certainly would have a role uh, for repeated use, given certain circumstances. Mm. I think that there's a, again, I think I said this before, but a large tendency to, we're human and we love experiences. To keep love, trying love. to re yeah love 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 <laughs> to, to recreate these experiences uh, is a tremendous attachment and, and of course we're all trying to really um, confront that attachment that we hold to so many th many uh, things in our lives hmm. so yeah hmm. what is devotion. It's a dirty word. <laughs> it's a dirty word. Yeah, it's a dirty word. I've been—I I mean, I was thinking just now about all of the Tibetan gurus who've been imploding recently in the Buddhist world. Imploding. So, imploding. Oh, so yeah. Gil Rinpoche, yeah, Norla yeah. Rinpoche. There's been like this sort of chain reaction of of imploding gurus. Well, there's been tons of them in the Hindu thing. I mean, why I'm, not? A few in the Tibetan. Yeah. You know? I mean, is that why you say it's a dirty word, though? Because no. of the no, no, no. Oh, oh not at all. No, <laughs> okay. no, no. I was thinking the the, do, the devotional guru yoga right now. You know, no, no, no. It's, it's got some. I mean, it more. The definition of it in the West is so skewed towards that word. Yeah. Oh, you're gonna give some. You're gonna give yourself up to somebody else. Right. Right. Giving over your yeah. power. Giving autonomy. over your power. Autonomy giving over or um, the subject-object nature of it, you know, you worshiping, especially Jews, like mm. I come out of the Jewish, you know, I'm Jewish, and they said, thou shall not worship idols, right, mm. and all of that. So uh, I think when Ramdas first came back and he started lecturing and so on, he said, well, there's a few words here that are difficult for me to talk about, you know, and certainly surrender and devotion are two of the two biggest. Yep. Surrender, that's a horrible word. I mean, just the idea that we have, we have no idea. We have a, a mentor that has come to 
that when we were in India, who's uh, with still with us today, K.K. Shah, and he came over and taught once specifically around that word. He gave a whole thing around that word, saying, you have no idea in the West what that word, you're translating it, has nothing to do with true surrender, which in India is, in, in the Hindu thing is called, in Bhakti, Sharanagat. Uh, and uh, he get, I mean, it's a wonderful thing. And, and by the way, anybody who wants to kind of further delve into that, go to ramdas.org and put in Sharanagat, S-H-A-R-A-N-A-G-H-A-T, something like that, hopefully. You, you, you can write an info at ramdas.org and, and somebody will get back to you and give you a, a link. Um, but it's a tremendous uh, um, document that he put together, or maybe it's a video, I can't even remember, that from a retreat or something. I'll, I'll make sure and uh, find, yeah, we'll find put something it on and the put it in the yeah. episode links yeah. too. Um, so these, these are, uh, yeah, what is devotion? I guess my, my best example is I went to India, I was this kid, and I was at another ashram, before I met Neem Dharma, I was at an ashram in South India, and I was going to meet Ramdas, and he was going to tell me how to get to Neem Dharma. We were at this other guru's ashram. Um, and when I went there, I went to meet the Guru. And I saw everybody was bowing down and touching his feet. I'm like, I don't want to do that. Touch, you know, talk about, that was in my head. Why should you touch anybody's feet? Fucking ridiculous. Awful. And then Ramdas came, and that night I said, you know, I'm having a hard time with this touching the feet business, Ramdas. <laughs> Um, so he, I said, what is it? He said, no, you're just, you know, the divine inside you is honoring the divine inside that person. And if you have a problem with it, good stuff to work with. You know, what are you really, having, what is your ego, how, how it's involved and so on. I thought, okay, that makes sense, you know. Went back the next day, same thing. I couldn't, it was just false what I was doing, you know. I had no talk about, there wasn't an ounce of feeling of honoring even. You know, that's how screwed up I was. Anyway, he told me where to go, and uh, I, I, two days later, maybe three days later, I'm in this ashram in the Himalayas, foothills of the Himalayas of, of Ninkaroliban, Maharaja, for the first time. And then out he comes through these doors, and I'm sitting there, and I have no idea what. You know, I loved Ramdas, so I trusted him 100%. Everything he said jived with me, you know. Anyhow, he came out. I can't tell you, not a thought in my head. I just fell down at his feet. Not, I, it wasn't, I should I do this? I had this whole issue before with this other guy. There wasn't anything. It came from such a deep place in me. And what was it? It was, now if I look back on it, I could say, it was honoring the divine presence. Whatever that shit is that we call God, Buddha nature, I don't care what you want to call it. It was right in front of me and I I have I can I mean I'm in it in the moment now I had to do that. There wasn't any question about it. That's real devotion. That's coming from not your mind, from from a real place. And ultimately it's a it's a 
Bhakti Yoga, which is a yoga of devotion, is simply you merge with that subject-object, with that being, whoever it is, it could be Christ, Krishna, it doesn't matter, whoever it is, your guru, and ultimately that place is you inside you. It is not outside you. It is not a matter of you and it. Ultimately, it's inside. And Ramana Maharshi, the great South Indian saint, said, God, Guru, and Self are one. Right? And that's the ultimate realization. And that's what true devotion is. Now, there's the problem in, uh, in, this, in the West especially is we're, we're kind of a little naive and culpable and we get these gurus that come over that take advantage, you know, and they're not cooked. They're, they may be good teachers. Look, you just mentioned the Tibetan teacher Sogal Rinpoche. That book he wrote, the Tibetan book of living and dying, I would recommend to every person who is going through any kind of trauma around, any kind of transition around dying or has a relative, and I did it with my father. He's obviously not cooked because he was doing some weird shit, you know. So hopefully, in our case, we had a cooked being, you know. There wasn't any question about it, and so, and he he wasn't. There was no nothing. He didn't even have disciples, you know. There was no. And there was even no lineage, you know, it was very much a little bit like, you know, Southern Buddhist thing, mm -hmm. teachers and so on. Mm -hmm. So I was going to say, there's, there's a quality of Zen, Zen like very much Zen, Zen stories yeah. and Zen. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah. Yeah, but like exactly. the radical, kind of the radical yeah. Zen. Yeah, the real, uh, yeah, he would, I mean, Maharaji had a, you know, a really foul mouth apparently, you know, because one of us, a few of us learned, one in particular started, really learned Hindi while he was there. And then he used to tell us, oh, you can't believe, like for instance, Maharaji used to say, sometimes he'd go, Tum Bahod Chalak, you're very clever, he'd say. And the person would go, oh, wow, yeah, that's so great. But really, it wasn't being translated. You're a fucking sneaky little shit. <laughs> That's, a, that's the proper translation. Yeah. <laughs> we weren't getting that, you know. So he, yeah, he was definitely a, very much a Zen kind of uh, teacher that way, a teacher, whatever you want to call it, whatever the hell he was. So yeah, back to devotion. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate. Look, people get whatever they need in the moment, you know, and you may get a, a devotion towards a, a quote-unquote guru or a teacher who's not cooked, and it ends up not so good, you know, like that has happened, what, so much in this country in the West, right? But you needed to go through that, you know? And those of us who were with this particular being, or and there's other 16th, you talk about the Tibetans? Well, the 16th Karmapa, for instance, I mean, was just the same as Maharaji. I met him once, and I got near him, and I went, holy shit, that's what I mean, holy, it was the same thing. There's only one thing, beings that are in that place. So there, there's been tremendous, you know, a bunch of really incredible, realized, what they're called bodhisattvas, you know, or siddhas in, in the Hindu thing. So, but if you happen to really become devoted, just, and you don't have maybe the idea of, this isn't outside myself, 
This is a matter of using this practice to find that place in myself. If you don't have that kind of view, or if the being is not cooked, you're going to go through some stuff. Mm. So what? Good. You know, you'll come out the other end, you know. As long as you, you know, you have just love in your heart, basically, and that's another shitty word, love, by the way. <laughs> love, devotion, surrender, all awful words. I told you about this near-death experience book that I did a podcast around. Yeah. They, each one of, not each one, but many of these people would say, I can't really tell you about, I want to, I can call it love, but it doesn't say what that word really means, you know? And I was thinking, wow, it's the same thing. I could never really explain what I, you know, what I received back then in, in that term. So, so, yeah, devotion is, it, it's a tough practice, actually. It really is, because people, you know, have a lot of projections, you know, and they bring in their own, what they miss from their mother and their father or their teachers or, you know, their past and whatever, and they try and make somebody to be something they're, they're maybe not. But as I said before, you just got to go through it. It's okay. You know, you'll come out the other end, whatever it's supposed to be. A little trust in the mystery, as Roshi Joan Halifax would say. Another person who's, by the way, fantastic. Everybody out there, check her out. Mm. Mm. Does that make sense around? Yeah, yeah, it, make, it makes sense. And I, I have my own, I, I would say the path that I've been on has not been primarily devotional, which is why I'm yeah. interested in, the, in the exploring it with you. And I, was, I have been surprised a number of times when those moments, like you're describing, have happened, you know, where I felt this tremendous sense of devotion to figures like the Buddha or yeah. to my teachers or yeah. um, to my wife or, yeah. you know, th these or moments. Or the practice even. Sure, yeah, yeah. To, the, to, to the practice, not in like the technical sense, but yeah. to the practice of like this moment yeah, is exactly. it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Be here now. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. You know, but someone like, I mean, I should talk to Jack about this actually, but, and I will because... We were doing this retreat in Maui at the end of the year with Jack and Trudy yeah. and Ram Dass and Grishana. Yeah. And I, I always like to, you know, think of stuff that's good to prompt them around, uh, you know, in their talks and so on. Yeah. And this particular retreat's around trust, which is a, another incredible subject. One day we should do something just around that. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, Jack, they just get into this place of, of devotion. They wouldn't call it that. Love. Uh, you know, and, and particularly they like to be around Ramdas because that's all he's interested in is that unconditional love for everybody, you know, and that blossoms their own connectivity to them. So, uh, you know, Buddhist, Shmoodist, Hindu, I don't, it means nothing. We as individual humans absolutely are, are, um, our default, I believe, is that place of caring and kindness and developing that in our hearts and devoting ourselves to that. I think that's, that's you know, and who's the biggest emblem of that in this world as, as it is right now? His Holiness the Dalai Lama. That's what he's all about. That's what he teaches. 
it's it's nothing but a devotion to compassion for everybody. You know? Nice. Cool. Feels like a good place to yeah bookmark this conversation yeah, until yeah, yeah. the next one. Um, yeah. I guess before we wrap up, I wanna um, I wanted to mention too how people can love and support Buddhist geeks because we're just getting this project going again. And yeah, absolutely. I yeah. mean, it's such been such a labor of love for me, like in, almost like nothing else I've done except for maybe my practice and being yeah. married and being a father now. Mm. And it's I've noticed it's it's hard in some ways to ask people to support that labor of love. I found it's hard. And so in rebooting the podcast, I really wanted to make it just such a simple and straightforward thing of like, I'm going to do this as long as there's support for it. And I'm going to ask openly, open heartedly for that support. Yeah. So that's, that's what I'm starting to do now more clearly. And, um, yeah, have you have you heard of this Patreon uh, project? Absolutely. Do you, Very do well. you use Patreon as well? I haven't done it yet. Yeah. Um, I am thinking about doing it yeah. just because it's an easy way for people to help support yeah. wonderful projects. And I have friends that are doing it. And, uh, yeah, absolutely think that's uh, a wonderful way. I, I also think you, you have a, a link, uh, an affiliate uh, Amazon link. No, we we don't we don't have an uh, Amazon link. I should I should think about oh, that. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> See, I did this turn this into a consulting session. Too. Oh, absolutely. Fundraising no, consulting. It's, it's it's great because <laughs> first of all, there's very few people who aren't going on Amazon on a regular basis. Almost especially I'm on especially there on a the weekly especially basis. the geeks. <laughs> Yeah, we no, order like everybody. 10 books a week, you know. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> With a book, you can order a fridge, okay? You can get a, um, there's a new potty out there uh, called Tushy. That's what I've been recommending to people, okay? It's a self-wiping potty, okay? Oh it's gosh. like from India. It's fantastic. I did not see this coming. Yeah, yeah. so people are going up here. Yeah. First of all, get an affiliate link. You can get it like that on Amazon. Uh, it become a, an Amazon affiliate. All right, we will have an Amazon affiliate link. So if you by want to buy time, your tushy. By the time this comes up. With our yeah. link. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you know what it is. We'll does. get some extra bucks. Amazon gives a few shekels of everything that each individual buys that goes to Buddhist geeks. All right. But it doesn't cost anyone going, all you have to do is, you're going to put up a link, I'm telling everybody now, you're going to put up a link, okay, that's your coded link for Amazon Buddhist, it'll say Amazon blah blah blah, slash Buddhist geeks, okay, you take that link and you put it into your bookmark box, uh, I see. okay, so you don't have to look for it, you don't have to go back to Buddhist links, which you'll have that link you know, so if people want to do it that way, but they go to the, you know, nice. to their bookmark bar, hit the thing every time they want to buy something from Amazon. You get a, you know, <laughs> Buddhist geeks will get a, a, a small percentage. Okay. Awesome. You heard it here first. Um, well, the Amazon bookmark Buddhist geeks. Yeah. Throw us some shekels when you buy your next fridge. Yeah. Thank you. Or yeah. a tushy thing. And yeah. uh, and check out our Patreon, um, which is at patreon.com slash Yeah, Buddhist no, Geeks. that's wonderful, too, because that, that's the old way of, uh, you know, people to support. It used to be, of course, in, you know, 
in the, what, I don't know, 14th century or something, you know, people would support different artists and so on. Yeah. Patronage. And patronage, yeah. And uh, so I think it's a great concept. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. We're playing around this time around with, um, I didn't tell you this beforehand. It probably was a good thing, but we're not editing any of this. This is just going straight from, straight from here to the people that are patrons. So some of them will just get instant access to our conversation like uh, later today. Oh, really? Oh, and you then, just get, uh, and then you put the Yeah, and up. it's more zen that way too. Yeah. So there's no, <laughs> there's no editing. There's just whatever yeah. comes out. Right. Like, uh -oh. I should have told you that before. Yeah. I don't, it, it's okay. I'm not into editing very much myself. It's hard work. Yeah. Um, anyway, thank you, Raghu, for yeah. Yeah, hanging Thanks here for and chatting. Me. Yeah, good really to have you great. on yeah. Buddhist Geeks finally. Yeah. And I'll, I'll do my own little ad. Uh, you go to beingherenownetwork.com yeah, and please. there's, you know, obviously we've talked about the great Buddhist teachers that we have there and of course Ram Das and Krishnas and check out what I do on mind rolling. Yeah, yeah, I was on your show like last year. Yeah, last year, which show. we should have you back. Kind of. It was a great show. Yeah. yeah. And some of the stuff you're doing with Duncan Trussell is yeah. really interesting. Check out Duncan, everybody. Yeah. You want yeah. to be entertained and at the same time somebody who's really vastly connected and interested and uh, has some, a great uh, stuff to talk about spirituality. I general. remember I was on retreat with Jack a number of years ago and I was like, you know, Obviously, there's not a lot of young, there's not a ton of younger people my age on these retreats. Um, I was like, what do you think about the millennials and spirituality? He said, well, I really think it skipped a generation, actually. And it skipped the Gen Xers and went straight to your generation. And actually, mm. there's, I've seen a lot of interest in this stuff. And it seemed like Duncan... Yep. He's you know, a he, big part of that. He's a big part of that, yeah, and it's, big, it's big. become even more true since, since having that conversation with Jack. I've, I've seen it now. There is this, it did yeah. skip a generation. The yeah. interest in and check out um, go to beherenownetwork.com and check out Jack uh, Jack Cornfield and Duncan Trussell you know, and stuff I've done with Duncan because he's hugely entertaining guy yeah. Yeah. he's really good nice alright thanks alright thank you Regu after nearly a year in private beta the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community and join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.